Ivan Applin is not exactly a household name. Ivan is a 10-year-old boy who lives in Toledo, Ohio, and is a hardcore, heart and soul Ohio State Buckeyes fan. This is a young boy who bleeds scarlet and gray. And as a matter of fact, Ivan was born with a heart condition, atrial septal defect, which essentially means that there's a hole in his heart that impairs the flow of blood to his major organs. And as he has grown and gotten older, this defect has actually gotten a little bit worse and has degenerated to the point that doctors needed to go in and do surgery. And so this past week, Ivan and his mom and dad traveled from Toledo, Ohio, all the way to Ann Arbor, Michigan, in the C.S. Mott Children's Hospital at the University of Michigan, where doctors were going to repair the hole in Ivan's heart. Now, I will skip to the end of the story and tell you the good news is Ivan is recovering and is, looks to be on his way to having a full recovery and resuming normal 10-year-old boy activities. And so that's a great, great blessing for him and his family. Absolutely. <clears throat> but Ivan had an interesting exchange with his doctors right before the surgery took place this past week. His doctors were explaining the procedure, and when they got to the end of their explanation, they said, now, Ivan, do you have any questions? And Ivan's mom, Jennifer, retold this story to Sports Illustrated and other news outlets this week when she said, Ivan looked into the eyes of these doctors at the University of Michigan Children's Hospital and just asked this question, are you all going to make my heart a University of Michigan fan instead of an Ohio State fan in this surgery. <laughs> now, I got to tell you, from where I sit, that's a valid 10-year-old boy concern. I, I think, you know, if, that'd be like going from Austin to College Station and having, you know, you just don't, you don't do that. So Ivan was concerned about that. And you and I, we look at that story, and it did get picked up by news services and Sports Illustrated and ESPN, and they got, you know, a little 15 minutes of fame this past week. And we think about that, and you could kind of hear it throughout the room just now when I told you the end of the story, and everybody, oh, that's so sweet. That's, that's such a cute thing. But I believe with everything I have that Ivan, in his question to his University of Michigan doctors, has something really profound to teach us that he intuitively subconsciously understands that a lot of us who maybe are older than 10 have forgotten if we ever actually grasped it at all and that is this that there is no separating the physical from the spiritual there's no separating the physical part of our lives from the spiritual part of our lives. Now, Ivan's doctors showed up to take care of the physical problem. They were there for a plumbing repair, essentially. They were going to plug the hole, stop the leak, and let Ivan get on with being a little 10-year-old boy. But Ivan, as only a 10-year-old could, was much more concerned about issues much deeper than his plumbing problem. Ivan was concerned about the spiritual part of his heart, the spiritual allegiances and faithfulness and loyalties that he felt to Ohio State and he was worried that the doctors were somehow going to mess up something in the surgery and turn him into a Michigan Wolverine fan. Can you imagine anything worse for Ivan? But the reality is in all of our lives there's no separating the physical from the spiritual. And today as we conclude this series, the top five 
we're wrapping up by taking a look at the fitness part of our lives and how we take care of ourselves physically. And as we think about this, just remember throughout this series, we've kind of established that in order to focus on what matters most, we have to really and truly get serious about what matters most. We have to really and truly focus on what God says are our top five priorities, no matter where we are in life, no matter what our circumstances or situation are, no matter how old or how young, how married or how single, how mom or how dad, how student, any, these are the top five biblical priorities that God's laid out. And just by way of review, we started by talking about faith, as you might imagine, this being a church and all. We said that's, that's number one. But then there's also the issue of marriage. And whether you're single or married, we all have a perspective on marriage. And we're all called in God's economy to honor marriage. And how we view marriage certainly impacts every part of our lives. If we, if we are married or if we're dating or we're thinking about dating or we're thinking about breaking up or whatever, marriage matters. There's also the issue of parenting and the fact that parenting is a big deal in God's economy, that it is through the home that God begins to reveal himself to our kids and to show them where they fit in his story and what he wants to do in and through their lives and their identity. We talked about work and the fact that all of us created in the image of God, which is all of us, are designed to be productive and to produce and to work in this world. But when we talk about our physicality, when we talk about our bodies, there is this tendency within us to separate the physical from the spiritual. And, and to really kind of get at this this morning, I, I think there are three primary, not only, but three primary takes on our physicality that it, I think, is, bears diving into. It, it bears getting at a little bit. The first take that I want to mention to you is religion's take. Religion tells us that we should deny our appetites in order to earn God's favor. Religion says just deny the appetites. Act like they're not even there so that God will see how faithful you really are and he will decide based on your denial of your appetites that he can now bless you and he can now deal with you. This is something that kind of transcends the different religions. In Buddhism, one of the main tenets of Buddhism is that all suffering is rooted in the fact of our appetites or our desires. And so in order to eliminate suffering, we should eliminate desire and get rid of that. And as soon as we can get to that point, we will find the elimination of all suffering. And it's not only in Buddhism. A lot of Christian orders, monks, some nuns, and others down throughout the centuries have said, if I could just deny all of my appetites, if I could just act like they're not there, then I would earn God's favor. Some Puritans took this on, and it's something that kind of even lends itself and bleeds into our culture here in America today in 2015. But you know, the fact of the matter is that appetites die hard. Appetites are really, really tough to keep suppressed and down for very, very long. And I think the reason for that is really very simple. The appetites that we have in our lives, appetites like hunger, appetite for food and drink, or the appetite, sexual appetites, whatever appetites you want to mention, most of those appetites at their root are neither positive nor negative. They're just there, but they're put there in our lives 
by a very deliberate and intentional God. You've got certain appetites. I've got certain appetites. The appetite to know and to be known, to love and to be loved. God placed that within us, and we can deny our appetites for only so long when we will find them popping up, kind of like a whack-a-mole machine. Have you ever been to Dave and Buster's and played whack-a-mole? You try to knock one down, it pops over here. You got to knock that one down. A lot of times, religious folks will play whack-a-mole with their appetites. And it's really funny because religious folks are the ones that you would think would kind of have a handle on this, but religion, if you'll remember, is always a man-made construct in an attempt to earn God's favor. And that, by the way, is not biblical. You cannot do anything to earn God's favor. It is a gift. That's why grace, as we sang about earlier, is so amazing because it's just a gift. And so this religious take on our appetites doesn't work. Now, that's one perspective. A lot of times the pendulum can swing 180 degrees in the other direction, and the world will tell us where our appetites are concerned. Don't deny those appetites. Deify those appetites. Lift them up. And if it feels good, baby, you do it. You deify those appetites in order to enjoy God's status. You're going to kind of set yourself up in a God-like situation. Now, we, of course, would never use that kind of language, but that's what we do. We, we like to determine our own destiny, chart our own course, be the master of our own fate. And this is the world's approach where our appetites are concerned. And the world says, man, just go for it. Just knock yourself out. I shared this, Julie and I shared this last week with you. We just completed an eating plan called Whole30. I'd never heard of it before. Apparently tens of thousands of people around the world have done this over the last few years. It's a big deal. And it is 30 days of complete clean eating. It's an eating plan that was actually originally designed in the bowels of hell. And <laughs> I, I'm just saying, I mean, that's not a... I'm not making a judgment. That's just an observation of fact. I'm not saying it's good or bad. We just know where it came. But it's no added sugar whatsoever, no processed sugar, no processed foods, no grains, no legumes. And if I may, just can I just tell you something? Your pastor, I love me some gluten. I love bread. 30 days, no bread, no butter. I mean, it was, woo, but we, we finished it and we completed it. And when we got through the end of the 30-day program, it, it was amazing what, what differences we felt just in the way we were sleeping and the way we felt just throughout the day. There was no mid-afternoon crash or, or anything else. But I will tell you, when we finished that 30 days, we've, we've continued it pretty much on, even though we're a week past that now. That's just how disciplined I am. But there was one meal I couldn't wait for. There, there was one thing. And when I, when I finished, when we got to midnight on day 30, meal 90 of day 30, I looked at Julie and I said, I got one thing on my mind. And she goes, well, I know what that is. I said, not this time. <laughs> That's 1A. But right now... So, 
24 diner, waffles. Somebody help me preach on the blessing of waffles. The guy came to our table to take our order, and he said, would you all like something to drink? I said, waffles. <laughs> and it was awesome. <laughs> but if you live in that place where you deify your appetites, and whatever you feel, like, man, if it feels good, do it. If, if you think about it and you think, oh, that's how I want that then you have actually turned your appetite into a God. And so we've got these two extremes, and it's into this breach, into these, to the gap between these two extremes that the gospel brings us to a place of health, a place of wholeness, and not surprisingly, a place of deeper, more powerful relationship with God than either one of them could provide. It's into this breach that the gospel beautifully bridges with, with a balance between responsibility and freedom and, and purpose and, and peace. And, and I want to show you how, how the Bible does this. We, we're all probably familiar with the expression, your body is a temple. We, we've heard that, and if you talk to somebody really spiritual, they're getting ready to go work out, they'll say, like, I'm just going to do a little temple maintenance. <laughs> That's old Christian humor, you know, sad as it is. But and we, we understand, okay, the temp, your body is a temple, blah, blah, blah. But what does that mean? Well, that's an echo of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. But in Romans chapter 12, Paul gives us just a very, very brief passage that shows us how we do this. This is the gospel take on fitness and taking care of ourselves physically. Look at what the Bible says. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, is essentially saying here, there is no separation between the physical and the spiritual. They are beautifully and powerfully and supernaturally mixed and meshed and mingled together in God's economy. The gospel answer to the whole appetite thing is this. Dedicate your appetites to extend God's glory. Take your appetites. They're, they're real. They're there. And dedicate them to extending the glory and the fame and the renown and the reputation of God. So what you do with your body, what I do with my body, is a statement of faith. It reflects and reveals what I really believe about who God is and what I really believe about what he says I am. This is the gospel take on our appetites. So now all of a sudden, our appetites actually matter. But look at what it says there. What it says, I urge you, I plead with you, my brothers and my sisters. Does that sound legalistic to anybody? Does that sound like religion? Deny your appetite. No. He's saying, I'm, I'm pleading with you for your sake. Give your bodies to God. 
Give your bodies to God. But I think we, we could spend a lot of time. I could you know, have nutritionists come up here and, and give you statistics, or we could have a, a CrossFit coach talk about burpees and wads and all that kind of stuff, which is fine. That's cool. But if we don't understand why we're going to give our bodies to God, I believe with everything I have, it will go by the wayside. Here's what I found out to be true. You will start something for a negative motivation. Julie and I, were, we started Whole30 because we were, we were tired of kind of being tired, and, and we wanted to kind of get our bodies back on track and recalibrated, so we went Whole30. But you will sustain change for a positive motivation. You'll start something, you'll change something for a negative motivation, but you will sustain change only for a positive motivation. Think about your relationships. How many of you are married in the house? Let me see the show of hands if you're married. Okay, if you're married, now put your hands down and do not raise them about what I'm about to ask you, okay? If you're married and you get like sideways with each other relationally, hypothetically, you can kind of tolerate it for a little bit. You can be like, you know what? I ain't going to talk to him. Because he's just like, I don't know. He is so hormonal right now. There is something going on. And you can just kind of decide to leave him alone. But eventually, if it gets bad enough, you're going to be like, sugar, we need to talk. That, that just kind of happens. And, and so you kind of say, we're not going to live like this anymore, pumpkin. We're, we're going to. We're going to address the problem at hand. And then you address the problem. You figure out where you got off track, how you got sideways. And then you come back together and you have that little kiss of, I love you, I love you too, makeup kiss. There's nothing like it in the world. And then you're like, ooh, I like it when we're on the same page. And so when you start to see that same problem rear its nasty, ugly little green head again, you like whack them all that thing down, just beat it up. Because you're liking being on the same page. The same thing is true in our lives, spiritually and physically. Sometimes people will go to church because they're sick and tired of waking up sick and tired. And they're like, man, I don't know what it is, but i got to do something. And they'll show up. But they will keep coming. They will remain a part. They will become a participant in the church family if they begin to see marks of progress. They begin to see intimacy with God restored. They begin to see their kids getting a grip on who they are and what they're supposed to do with their lives. And they begin to see this positive progress. They're like, you know what? That thing's working. We're going to do that again. This is true in our lives physically as well. What Paul is saying here, present your body, give your body to God, but start with the why. Start with why you give your body to God. What did he say? I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Because of all he's done for you. Let me ask you a question this morning. This, this will sound like it's rhetorical, but it's not. How many of you in the room right now, and I want to ask you to raise your hand. How many of you in the room right now are alive. If you would just raise your hand, please. It's almost unanimous. That's great. You, you do understand you did nothing to deserve today. You, you did nothing 
to deserve waking up on August the 30th, 2015. That's a gift. God did that for you. Others of you, how, how many of you know, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you know that there's somebody in this world who loves you? You, you know on your worst day, there's somebody who will forgive you and love you and be there tomorrow. That's a gift God has given to you. Every good and perfect gift comes from our Father of lights in heaven above. Everything is a gift from God. All he has done for you, but never forget the greatest thing that he has done for you is Jesus. If you ever wonder, how much do I matter to God? Does God even know my name? Do I even register on the galactic census? You never forget Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Are you joking me right now? Are, are, are you really wondering? Jesus went to the cross for you. He went to the cross for me. And so that means every single part of my life matters as a response to what he's done for me. So I present my body a living sacrifice because of all he has done for me. Because of all he has done for me. Now this idea of a living sacrifice is an interesting term because it's actually a contradiction in terms. It's kind of an oxymoron. A living sacrifice in, in the first century A.D., this, his audience, Paul's audience would have understood sacrifice. People did that all the time, going back to Moses and the Jewish system of sacrifices that are called for and declared in the law of Moses in Leviticus and Exodus and elsewhere. But, but the, the idea of a living sacrifice, when you sacrificed an animal to God for forgiveness or atonement or whatever the call might have been, the animal died. The, the animal died, which is why it was a sacrifice. You were sacrificing, whether it was a, a lamb or a goat or some other animal, you were called to give your best to God. And so when the animal died, boy, that, that was a sacrifice. How many of you are, are moms in the house? Let me see a show of hands of the moms. I don't think any demographic on the planet understands sacrifice better than moms. Somebody should have shouted amen right there. I'm just saying, and you know what? Some guy should have shouted, a dad should have shouted amen, just for the record. I, I, too late now, cuz. Too late. What was that line out of Frozen? You hesitated. I will never forget Joseph, our, our younger child, he's now in college. Joseph had kind of a hair trigger gag reflex. He, Joseph threw up at the drop of a hat. Didn't mean he was sick. He just threw up all the time. Sometimes kids do that. And I'll never forget early in Joseph's life, we were driving somewhere as a family. I was driving. Julie was in the passenger seat. Kids were behind us in car seats. And 
Julie looked around and could tell that Joseph was kind of getting a little pale. He was kind of losing his color, and he was kind of, and, and there, it was obvious. And I'm like in the rearview mirror going, get a bag. We need a bag. Does anybody got a bag? Emily, do you have a bag? Julie, got a bag? We need a bag. How come you didn't bring a bag? And about that time, Joseph just, he just let it fly. Julie, my bride, never skipped a beat. She never batted an eye. She turned around and as only a mom can, caught it in both hands. Can I tell you something? It never crossed my mind to catch projectile vomit. Not once. It ne- I mean, not one. There was no part of me that went, I wonder if I could catch that. Nothing. And if I had, I can assure you that some reflex in me would have gone, nope. It's unbelievable. But you know, moms, moms just do that. Moms, moms understand sacrifice. There, there are three things about the Jewish system of sacrifice that I think we need to understand as we talk about presenting our bodies as living sacrifices. First of all, a sacrifice always costs. Always. If it doesn't cost you something, it ain't a sacrifice. You know, if you give away clothes that you don't wear anymore, if you're like, you know, I haven't worn those bell bottoms in 40 years. That's cool, but it ain't a sacrifice. The second thing about a sacrifice, in the Jewish system, a sacrifice was always a substitution. The animal substituted for the person making the offering, the sacrifice. But the third thing about sacrifice, the word sacrifice in the Jewish tradition begins and ends with this idea of drawing near. There's always this idea of sacrifice leading to nearness with God, connection with God. And this is to be true of our sacrifice, of our bodies, to make our bodies, everything that we do, living sacrifice. So we work, that's a sacrifice. It it, it costs us something. And, 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 this idea of substitution. You know, Jesus was our substitute on the cross. But in this world that does not acknowledge Jesus' sovereignty, that does not recognize him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, until they get to that point, you and I substitute for Jesus. We are the hands and feet and life of Jesus. And I've, I've heard that prayer a lot, you know, Lord, make me the hands and feet of Jesus. It's a great prayer, but never forget what happened to the hands and feet of Jesus. You see, sacrifice costs. And it cost God everything. But, but this sacrifice is always about drawing near to God. So, so when we present our bodies as living sacrifices, when we decide, you know what? Give me the kale. Boy, that's costly. I, I want some gravy. 
That's just me. But that's an act of worship. God, I'm going I'm to kale. I'm, I'm going to put fuel in this body that you've given me. Julie's dad has a great line when we call Mississippi or call to talk to him. I'm like, Joe, how are you doing? I'm doing the best I can with what I got to work with, son. <laughs> I think it's exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 12. Do the best you can with what you've got to work with. This is the body God gave me. Would I like it to have been faster? Yes. Yeah, I really would. Would my basketball coaches have liked me to have more leaping ability? Yes, they would have. But this is what God's given me. So I'm going to present this, a living sacrifice, as a spiritual act of worship. It's a sacrifice. Look at what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10 about sacrifice. It says the old system under the law of Moses, which we were just talking about, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, just a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. They had to be repeated annually all the time, over and over and over again. But look at verse 10 of Hebrews 10. But God's will, his desire, was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient, period, because he is the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice. And he is our example. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Remember at the very beginning, I, I read that passage and said, Now therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now therefore. What's the therefore? It's interesting. In the original text, the New Testament as well as the Old, they didn't have chapters and verses like we do. We have those so that we can know where to go. They're man-made, but they're there. They don't change the meaning, but they just kind of give us an address that we can find the location of a particular verse. But the passage that immediately precedes Romans chapter 12, verse 1, is the basis for Paul's therefore. Romans eleven thirty six 36 says, For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his Glory, all glory to him forever. Amen. All glory to God. Now, because everything is from God and for God and sustained by him, now present your bodies a living sacrifice. And now that we understand the context, the top five has just come full circle. You remember when we started talking about faith? as the primary priority. We, we said that the little decisions of every day determine the big directions of every life. And so we're going to begin every decision in 
Every priority is going to be run through the filter of Exodus chapter 20, the first commandment of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me. So, so God is to be preeminent. God is to be God. He's, he's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords in every arena of life. And so that is where I begin. I come all the way through the top five. I think about, about marriage and what God really wants in that. And I think about parenting and my role to play in that either as a parent or as the child of a parent. And then I think about work and the fact that I'm created in the image of God and God is a God who works and he produces and he provides. And so that's my job as well, male or female, whatever, that's my deal. And then I think about fitness and, and the body that he's given me, such as it is, I'm going to I'm going to present that, a living sacrifice, so that he is glorified in all things, so that he is honored in every single part of my life. Because he is God, and I am not. And I want to ask you to bow your heads, please. And as you bow your head, I want to just invite you to take stock, to examine your life. Frenzy is the norm. And we believe with everything that we have around here that normal is overrated. And in order to pull ourselves out of the frenzy, in order to remain above the frenzied fray, we got to focus on what matters most. And that begins and is sustained and ends in God himself specifically as we live our lives in relationship with him. Because of all he has done for us. Now some of us here today are in that game. We're in it. We've committed our lives to Christ. We're not perfect. We mess up on a regular basis. We sin. But we're chasing after him in response to his amazing grace. But more than likely, there are folks here today who have never stepped into that relationship with him, who have never stepped over that line of trust, of surrender. that's you today, then we want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Just to pray right where you're sitting, silently, with everything that you have, just talk to God. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I give you my life once and for all to follow you forever from 
this moment forward. I confess my sin to you. I claim your forgiveness. And I will follow you. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. you if you just prayed that prayer to stamp this day just raise your hand just raise it quietly but high over your head unmistakably as you mark it in your mind and in your heart and as you do we want you to know that as a church we want to be a, a, a family of faith for you we want to help in this new faith, this new relationship with God that he initiated and you responded and stepped into today. And so in just a moment, I want to ask you who prayed that prayer and you meant it, if you would fill out the connect card that's in the program and just on your way out today, make a brief, personal, real person connection. Just hand that card to one of our ushers who has on the blue LHC shirts. Or you can stop at the LHC tent under the front porch out there on your way out. But the whole thing is about relationship, your relationship with God, and then coming into the relationship of the church, a family of faith, to grow, to learn, to stretch. his purposes forward and so as a church we celebrate that with you as you put your hands down we like to put our hands together and tell you welcome home welcome home